as anticipated, this is taking way longer than anticipated. Who could have seen this coming? Oh, wait, we did. But who didn't prepare for this? We did. <laughs> so welcome to our book recap of differences and things we love. No, no, no. Differences and things Vero loved. Uh, uh, yeah, again. So we are going to kick off with Thursday. And now it is time for... No, it's not. <laughs> and now it is time for Thursday. That was another random Lucifer reference. Please give us a proper transition. I am terribly sorry. Oh, it's okay. Because previously on Thursday. <laughs> Insert Lucifer reference hashtag listen to six seasons. I have quite a few things, but I have no structure in first day because I'm pretty sure I wrote this while on a train. So I will not remember what happens where. Okay, after Wednesday comes Thursday. It's the last Thursday of our lives because the apocalypse is coming, obviously. <laughs> first information that was completely shocking to me, and I do not remember it either from the show nor from the book, is that Wensley's name is Jeremy. I did not even pay attention to that. Thank you for noticing and pointing it out. His name is Jeremy, but his parents call him Youngster in the hopes that he's going to take a hint because according to this book, he gave the impression of having been born with a mental age of a 47. That I remember and I feel like show Jeremy is exactly that. Jeremy. So Jeremy Jeremy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, watch The Good Place. Yes. Continue. So uh, then I have to bow my head to Pepper because she is me. Because she does not get challenged by anybody. Because everybody knows that she could kick and bite with astonishing physiological accuracy for a girl of 11. Which I don't know if you know this about me, but that was my reputation when I was of the age of 11. I feel slightly sorry for your peers. Excuse me, I only used it for good. Don't we get the confirmation about the third baby before anything else? or? Oh, this is happening right here, actually. See? I said I would not remember what happens when. Yeah, we talk about Pepper being, you know, such a good protector. Let's put it that way. And it's necessary to be a good protector. Yes, because she stands up to the bullies, which is what I used to do. And one of these bullies' name is Greasy Johnson. And where does Greasy Johnson come from? Well, he thinks... He's from Tatfield and he technically grew up in Tatfield, but his parents never told him he's adopted. So yeah, Greasy Johnson loves his tropical fish. He has prize-winning tropical fish and he is the third fucking baby. He's baby B. And he's also the fucking nemesis of the dam because he leads the opposing gang. He is the leader of the Johnsonites. Yes. And I honestly love this because this once again means that the entire shenanigans with the baby swapping around and everything very obviously was part of the ineffable plan. Because why else would the third baby end up in the same place as Adam? Yes. And it's not even the baby that the youngs were supposed to have because that's Warlock. It's the random baby with American parents. And yet, he is a gentle soul. He is not a gentle soul. He's a fucking bully. Yes, but not on the inside. Yes, he's a bully. That's the problem with the bullies. Bullies are terrible. But there's usually a reason why they're terrible. Yeah, but they're not gentle souls. 
They can be gentle souls. Yeah, no. I'm not here to defend bullies. I'm not here to defend bullying. I'm here to defend children. Yeah, but I'm also not defending bullies. I'm not talking about the act. I'm talking about the person perpetrating the act. In the end, there is happenings to Johnson that we're going to get into if we ever reach the end of this book because we are not even anywhere near halfway. We are getting closer to halfway. Shut up. Show me. You have the book in your hand. We are in one third. Yes, we're third way in. So there is a lot of the them as a group in this chapter. And there is a lot of kind of a discussion between them. And it's something that we don't unfortunately get to see on the show as much. And it makes a lot of the choices that are made in the end a little rushed. While there is something about Adam since he was a kid. And I don't think that's portrayed that well on the show. So there is a moment here where it says... The them fell silent. Adam was always worth listening to. Deep in their hearts, the them knew that they weren't a gang of four. They were a gang of three, which belonged to Adam. But if you wanted excitement and interest and crowded days, then every them would prize a lowly position in Adam's gang about leadership of any other gang anywhere. Which gives us so much on the background of their dynamics and it's something that's not new to them. It's something that's always been there and it just grows stronger as we continue on with the book, which it is hinted at very heavily at on the show. But just based on your reactions to the kids on the show, it's clearly not hinted at heavily enough for it to be translatable as well. Also, funnily enough, despite the fact that they are very clearly following Adam in the book, they also talk back so much more in the book. And so once again, the them have much more nuance and depth and range in the book compared to the show and in my personal opinion Adam in the book has much less depth and so that's why I said I prefer the book them but I prefer show Adam and you hate show Adam yeah but he's still more interesting I feel like book Adam is more kid show Adam it has its own things in it I still really appreciate him, but... I think it would be way more interesting to have book them talk back at show Adam because he has literally zero self-control. So it would be a lot more interesting to me. Also, another huge difference between the show and the book to me with Adam specifically, he has a sister in the book. Her name is Sarah. I do not remember that. She is not around, but she is talked about. And uh, it actually explains at one point, at the very beginning, Mr. Young says something about it's not like it's the first one or something like that when uh, Mrs. Young goes into labor, when they talk about her trying to convince him to be in the room for the birth. And it kind of startled me when I read it. And then I realized he's referring to The fact that this is not her first child, which also gives Adam a little bit of a different background because being an only child and being a younger sibling is very different when you're growing up in a a place and traditional families structured traditional with in parentheses. Because Gaiman is Gaiman, someone asked us on Gaiman's Tumblr, (laughs) does Adam have a sister named Sarah? In the book it says he does at page 160. Or I might have read it wrong, sorry if I have, but if I haven't, then why isn't she in the show? I've been digging for your blog for hours to see if you answered this already, but I couldn't find it. 
answer he does in the book. He probably doesn't in the show unless it's important for someone's fiction that he does. Either way, she's nine years older than Adam, so when he's 11, she's off at university. Yeah. <laughs> Another user's comment. There's also a bit later in the book where Adam is considering trying to borrow a souvenir sword of his sister's boyfriend while they are planning the Inquisition. So at least two mentions of the sister in the book that I completely read over. Technically, it's three. I mean, it's two. They're very close to each other because at the beginning, this is both borrowing the stuff. She is mentioned when he goes, his sister Sarah and her boyfriend had also been to Spain. So this is when they are gathering the things that are Spanish so they can pretend to be the Spanish Inquisition. And then he actually borrows the uh, sword. Yeah, that I know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's the same situation. Both of them get mentioned, basically. Can we get on? He has a sister. <laughs> so, yeah, he has a sister, which is like, I mean, changes the dynamic of, of your growing up if you have an older sibling, I think. Nine years difference. She was gone for most of his conscious life. That's not necessarily true. Nine years difference. When he was nine, she was already 18. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's my oldest sibling, as you know, is five years apart from me. So it's not exactly the same. But yeah. I know quite a lot of people here in Ireland who have this and bigger age difference. And it's just your parents treat you differently if you're not an only child. There is a difference. That is. So that's what I'm getting at. Parental treatment is different. But even though he is not an only child, in the book, Adam's parents actually do parent Adam and behavior has consequences and everything. So the parents in the book are much more present despite the fact that he's the second child. It's To me, it was just like a huge change in a sense of, or me viewing Adam is rather changed by the fact that now I know that he's not an only child so yeah do you have anything around here what's your next no thing? idea <laughs> what's your next thing my next thing is that they do not torture one of the them but they torture pepper's little sister and they don't torture her by sitting her on a boring swing they torture each other by dunking them in the pond which is like what yeah like this is much more gruesome yes it is a nice hot day but dunking someone in a pond is potentially dangerous. Swinging on a swing is very, very boring. You grew up in a city. So? It's Drowning is a thing. Drowning is indeed a thing. But also, I don't know, it just gives me very much like my childhood vibes. Yeah, drowning is a thing. The only thing that can happen when you're sitting on a swing is that you fall off. And yes, there is a tiny chance that you might hurt yourself. Insert... The Secret Garden storyline. I don't know if you read that book. No. A person there falls off a swing and then very, very bad things happen. But dunking someone else in the pond or in a, in a body of water is very close to potential actual bullying. Swinging someone on a swing, not really, you know? Yeah, I suppose if you put it that way. So the thing is, for me, it doesn't change anything for me it is still a game i'm not saying that they're bullying the little sister but it just it is a different dynamic for me and yes i know that i'm a city kid but <laughs> as a child i did nearly drown for example so okay. um <laughs> maybe that you that's why you're so uh, adamant adamant about this yeah adam and about this Moving on. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, Adam's parents have actual consequences for him. So I do prefer Adam's a bit more conservative book parents over the 
seemingly scared of Adam, and I know you don't agree with me there, parents in the show. Book parents over show parents when it comes to Adam. Now, this is something that uh, we have mentioned a little bit earlier. There is a bit about Anathema meeting Adam for the first time. Yes. And there is a very well-described situation where we talk about the not being able to focus on Adam and not being able to focus on what's important. And we get to see it from her perspective, which is something that I was... Well, we were both kind of like... But she's very incompetent. Like, he's literally in front of her. And you were saying, well, he has the cloaking device. I'm like, I don't see it. She should be able to at least something, yeah. But we literally have the same wording that Crowley uses, where she says it's beyond superficial level of her thoughts slipped away like a duck of water, which is the same wording. Water of a duck, I think. I'm duck reading from the book. Water? Like yeah. a duck off of water? Makes sense. A duck of water. A duck of water. Can I have the whole sentence? Because that does not sound like English. I'm pretty sure that this is like specifically because it's Anathema's thoughts. It might be slightly grumbled. It goes, if Anathema had been in full control of her own mind at that moment and no one around Adam was ever in full control of his or her own mind, she'd have noticed that whatever she tried to think about him beyond a superficial level of thoughts slipped away like a duck of water. Like Makes sense. Duck as in quack quack. Yeah. Okay, that sentence makes no sense to me, but no worries. It's just very nice description while also thank you for using the wording that you used with Crowley because now I have it inner feeling confirmed that it's not just her incompetence for not being able to see him. It's literally worded in front of my eyes and it's worded very well. When we have the interaction with the two of them and Adam straight up does ask her if she is a witch, she does not deny it. She says some people might say so, which is a difference in the show and I did complain about that in the show so I prefer once again <laughs> <laughs> she does say that she is an occultist yeah she also says that but the thing is she does not deny being a yeah. witch yeah because Which, saying to be some fair, people might say so is neither a yes or no but it is definitely not a no I think it's because of the situation that she's met him in because she's not directly watching them play the Spanish Inquisition yeah it's just, yeah, it's it's kind of weird what they did with that. Yeah. And another thing is, of course, the whole aura thing, because there simply is no communication about that. She does not tell Adam about auras, and she does not tell him that he doesn't have one. And she only has, like, the inner awareness that she can't see it, and she puts it down to her being tired, and that is enough reason for her to be like, eh, I can't see it, no worries. Which is, like, one of the few slightly incompetent moments, but given the fact that like right before that we get informed that around Adam you are not in control of your own mind is a very nice excuse obviously and here we also have the thing that I pointed out uh, in the show already that obviously we do not have an Americanized comparison with why she can't see it but instead we get a UK based one with Trafalgar Square and England yes while this is all happening we get a tiny little insert about Zraphel still reading the book, which I love that they are really trying hard 
for us to follow the fact that this all is happening. There are so many things that are happening, but Zerafel is still sitting in his bookshop reading the book. Yeah, but for me, more relevant than that is we do not get any of the prophecies, except in the few scenes where Anathema hands them over to Newt or recites them or something. There is a minuscule amount of prophecies in the book, and that is actually something that I was surprised by. And it explains why I thought there were none in the book, because in the show there are so omnipresent, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like they weren't in the book at all. And given how few of them are actually in the book, I now feel very much reconfirmed and that my brain did not remember them because they are basically irrelevant. I mean, like they, they, they don't do much. Not, not not quote for quote. Like, of course, they are relevant and everything, but there is no need for us to know the content of all the prophecies, which also means that all the prophecies that we get in addition were written specifically for the show because they are not in the book. And so now I am wondering, did Terry and Neil write them before and they simply were not in the book? Or did Neil make them up for the show? That is a very good question. Like, basically, did Neil and Terry write the prophecy? book at the same point as that they wrote Good Omens. I remember you were thinking this already when we were covering it and I was so adamant. I know. About them all being in the book and more. And I'm just like, I am shocked, honestly, (laughs) by how little amount of them we actually get. What I really, really enjoyed about the prophecy is that very often we, because as a reader, we have more information. We understand them so much better than the characters in the book. So there are references to Crowley and and Ezraphel at one point in one of the prophecies. And the notes next to it are completely off base about that. But also, it's like in the show, the prophecies are so much more fun because they refer to so many more fun bits and the commentary is more interesting so when it comes to the prophecies i prefer the show prophecies over the book prophecies so once again for me it's book show book show book show which is why i don't have a favorite see the idea behind this is that you have to love it together no it's the best when it's merged. No, in the end, I'm going to create Lina's monster by cutting out all my favorite pieces on each side and gluing it together and then hope it works. I am terrified. Perfect. That was my intention. I don't have anything else for Thursday. I would like to point out that Adam is an asshole because he says that Anathema is, of course, very old. Compared to him, she is. I know, but like... Go on, she's like, what, 27, I think, yeah. or something like that. That's not asshole, that's normal child. She's not actually even that, because I believe that we meet her 11 years ago, and she's eight and a half. Yeah, so compared she's... to him, she's old. He's 11. <sighs> I just found it very funny. And that's a thing. Like, we met her 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, his sister is two years younger than Anathema, and he considers Anathema very old. Point in my case that he and his sister are not close, because he also <laughs> considers her probably very old. I mean, obviously he considers her old. I considered 
my brother old, who was a year and a half older than me. Rude. Anyway, one last mm-hmm. thing about mm-hmm. Thursday before we get on for the yay day. And that is, again, with the memories. So Adam uh, gets all of these magazines as he does on the show. And then he reads under the blanket with a torch until the torch runs out of batteries. And it's just... Oh, have you done that as a child? I used candles. Oh, yeah, we talked about this before because I used my Motorola phone back then. Imagine this. Some of our listeners might not remember this. We didn't have phones with big screens. It was just they would light up for the backlight of the buttons would light up for like 10 seconds at the time. So you had to keep pressing a button every 10 seconds and it would only light up like one or two lines of the book. That's how I read under the blankets as a child. And this concludes first day with Adam reading magazines with a torch, listen to the bonus material under his blankets. Ta-da! Now, Friday, we kick it off with Raven Sable. Famine! And I think I can use my one note I have on this before you get into all your details, because we have so much more, because we have meals, caps, snacks, caps, Chow caps and chow is the latest of all of them and it's making you fat and malnutrition at the same time. It's perfect for America. I fucking love it so much. Like I really do enjoy book famine a lot more. He's very creative, let's put it that way. And he really loves his job. A, he really loves his job, but that is something that I feel we get in the show. But B, he seems more in charge himself. In the show, it kind of feels like he delegates a lot more. Here, he's more involved himself. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. We get a lot of, a lot on famine. And uh, one of my favorite things is, and this is something that I asked about when we were watching the show. I was like, why the fuck is Elvis in the background? Yeah, and I said, it's a repeated thing in the book and it is it absolutely fucking is and i didn't remember any of this i did the thing is right you can clearly see that on the show they don't actually go into all of these details they just put him in a background in an outfit so you immediately know who he is Mm. and this is just to trigger the memory of what we get in the book because there's like so many different details. It makes no sense to anyone who has not read the book and sometimes apparently it doesn't even make sense for someone who has read the book. Mm, clearly I have not paid enough attention when I also, read this book for the first time. Also, dear listeners, do me a favor and I hope you counted all the times Vero says this is one of my favorite things because I really would love to know how many times she said it. Hey, person can have, I never say this is my the, the most favorite thing that I no, have. one of my I, favorite it's things. One of of my favorite things. That means mm-hmm. that there, are, there are, I'm allowed to have multiples. Oh yeah, many, many multiples. Many multiples. So there is this amazing moment where he, Doctor Sables, gets the parcel and he signs for it. And in case it wasn't obvious to everybody, the description literally says Sables signed for it. His real name, one word, six letters. Sounds like examine. In case you didn't get it so far, then he makes a mental note to fire Elvis. <laughs> And, oh. I mean, did you catch the later reference with death? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. It's incredibly on point. Love it. So this entire moment, chef's kiss. Absolutely incredible. Do you have any other notes for Friday? I have a lot of notes for Friday. Okay. (laughs) The next note I have is 
Aziraphale is using a fucking computer. Uh, oh, oh, okay. That's like 10 pages in. How do you do that? So... <laughs> I told you I only focus on the actual differences. So there is a difference in, uh, again, the dynamic of the dem. But there is a lot of things that happen later on, that Adam makes happen later on, that come from a discussion, a full-on conversation that he has with the dem. It's not just his own thing. It's not just a conversation, it's an actual argument. And we learn in the book that they have a lot of these arguments for argument's sake. And I love this so much because this is something that I, to this day, do with some people. And some people like it and some people hate it. But I love arguing for argument's sake because it is so fucking entertaining. And show them, don't do that. Because there is no backtalk to Adam. And here everybody makes points. And yes, in the end they always concede their points towards Adam. But he also makes amends towards their directions. He uses their input and adjusts the narrative and the reality. So yeah, so much better. It is, <laughs> it, it, it is so much more natural conversation and more realistic conversation that is happening and uh, the events that will be unraveling from now on are not just from Adam's brain. They are coming from the them's brain as well. So it just makes it so much better. And then... We go back to Zirafel for the first time for a longer period of time, for nearly a full page. Yes, and we learn the most important thing about Zirafel in the book. No, we don't learn the most important thing, but we learn a very important thing. He uses a computer, which to me is so important because usually in most like types of stories that have like these ancient beings they are either completely opposed to technology or they are super super whizzy when it comes to technology and he's just normal about it and that is so unusual that an eternal being has a basic understanding of technology so i love it I fucking love it. It's very, very good. I uh, think that there is another piece of information that is embedded in this moment. And that is something that actually I quite enjoy. And it is the equivalent of it is this way unless it is not. <laughs> Which is literally what Neil Gaiman uses in his replies on Tumblr. It's in there unless it's not. Or it's not in there unless it's needed. <laughs> And if you, if you listen to our episode where we were kind of recapping the questions that we had for Dulcifer writers, this is literally what we've been told about one of the questions as well. You know, it's this way, unless it's not. Yeah, unless we need it to be different, then it's not. Exactly. And uh, this is actually a really, really interesting point. Because they talk about sexuality and stuff in this moment. They literally go, angels are sexless unless they really want to make an effort. To me, this sentence put into the TV show means that Crowley and Azrafel really, really love each other. Because I think that they will make that step because they really want to make an effort. I actually think even just being themselves, they already make an effort. Because oh, yeah, Crowley previously has said that this is his favorite form. Mm -hmm. And I feel feel like the entire look and style he's going for he's is very very obviously gendered and i would be surprised if he didn't add the sex as well yeah to the gender because yes i know they can be separate but i kind of feel like crowley especially would be like it just completes the look yeah yeah i can definitely see 
Crowley, I have no doubts. Aziraphale, I'm with you. You might only put in the effort after a certain point. Yeah. Yes. But with Crowley, I feel like it completes the look. It affects the walk. You know, it just... (laughs) I mean, come on, you do walk differently. Especially in those tight, tight pants. Yep. When everything that you own is squeezed to nothingness. See? So that is why my hat cannon, Crowley, has put in the effort to not be sexless. Aziraphale, probably later. (laughs) We leave uh, Isarafel and his computer behind. Sorry, I'm going to hyper-focus on the computer. I do work in IT after all. And we go over to Anathema. And this is, I think, slightly mentioned, like in a side sentence in the show. But Anathema is very, very actively and detailed measuring ley lines. And mm-hmm. she notices that they are shifting and that they are forming a spiral. And the center is within Tedfield. And so this, once again, she is so much more competent because in the show, it seems like she's like, oh, I'm trying to measure it, but it doesn't really work. And here she is mapping out the form that the ley lines are forming. Also, I fucking love ley lines. They're used in so many of my favorite stories. I know nothing about the supposed actual ley line mythology. (laughs) I only know the bastardized versions that authors have used in very, very many different books. And here you have a anathemas in the details section that you could do a little research on if you ever have decided to do something like that. If we ever decide to do a detailed section on good omens at any point in time that ley lines would be one of the topics that I would want to cover simply because I know nothing and a lot at the same time yeah it's one of those things I mean that's how I walk through life I just know nothing (laughs) and everything about everything and nothing so yeah that is what I have with anathema we get to actually through anathema's bit hear about the uh, Adam disappearing the nuclear reactor. We start hearing all these happenings and stories like we get the disappearing nuclear reactor. I think it's on a radio or something. Yeah, yeah, she's listening to the radio. I absolutely love the sass of the spokesman because he's asked about oh, is it a terrorism? Have you considered terrorism? And he goes hmm, I suppose we must. All we need to do is find some terrorists who are capable of taking an entire nuclear reactor out of its can while it's running and without anyone noticing. It weighs about a thousand tons and is 40 feet high. So they're going to be pretty, probably pretty strong terrorists. And He's so like sassy, f- yeah. Love it. Like, yeah, obviously we thought about it, but like, how would they do this? It makes zero sense, Mr. Radio Person. No human, including terrorists, could have done this, period. Duh-duh. Yeah. No, but this starts us off with all the stories and happenings that Adam has started to influence. And to me, the most relevant difference is that we get so much more backstory on the captain who discovers Atlantis. Because he is so unhappy. He is so frustrated. We get all the financial company bullshit background for him. I feel bad for him, so I wanted to include him and at least mention him in this episode. Yeah. No, and from there, we go back to the them. And they continue their discussion. And they are revealing and including more and more theories. And they're getting wackier and wackier. And here, once again, I want to break a lance for my boy Wensleydale. 
because you remember how upset I was when you were implying that Wensleydale would believe in conspiracy theories at any point. And in the book, Wensleydale is by far the most reasonable one and his argumentation is the most stable one holding up against Adam's freshly acquired bullshit. So I feel incredibly validated and protective of my boy, Jeremy. I remember this fight. I remember, I mean, I remember this discussion. (laughs) No, that was a fight, girl. You have extremely hyper-focused on one thing that I said. I know, and I will never forget it. (laughs) And you will never forget it, even though this is not what I meant. But okay, I will will give this to you. (laughs) He would not be a conspiracy theorist said that he is. Yes, she did. Oh. Listen to the episode, dear listeners, and then tell us who is right. <sighs> Those are our favorite okay. feedbacks. It doesn't always have to be a competition, but I understand. Really? Now we finally, finally, finally get to meet the Witchfinders. And we're on a page in my book on a page 166, which is we are getting closer to the halfway point of the book. And now we meet the Witchfinders. Yep. Yeah. So fucking late in the game. And the entire introduction of the Witchfinders and how Newt meets Shadwell and everything is very, very different. It is. And I think that on one hand, it loses the element of pity for Newt because he is the one who actively finds the ad without having the background story of like just being fired and everything. Without the pressing necessity and also with having the curiosity about Shadwell before willfully meeting him. Like I said, I do not like Book Newt. He is not interesting. He is not likable for me. I much prefer show Newt on many, many levels. Hmm. The one tidbit that I found most interesting about the Witchfinder army, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't think this was included in the show, the last Witchfinder general was hanged as a witch himself because he kept charging too much for too many witches he supposedly found. And I love that. Yep. As we said, Newt finds the advert in the paper here. Mm -hmm. So slightly different. Unprompted, yeah. Yeah. And so here I need your input. Because Madame Tracy has three jobs in the book, mm-hmm. not two. Let me find this. Hold on. Because I wrote it down that she has three jobs because there is this Edward in a phone box. Because I she's a sex worker. Yeah. She's a sex worker. She's a medium. And she has the Edward in a phone box somewhere for something else. On Thursdays, Madame Tracy will be available to strict discipline and intimate, intimate massage every evening except for Thursday. There was yet another ad in a phone box somewhere. When much later, Newt asked her what this one involved, she said Thursdays. So does she have a third job? And if yes, what is it? Or is Thursday simply her day off and it's a hobby? <laughs> Yes, but like, why would she have a an advert? Maybe she has like a interest off. group for like a special interest or something. Like, so this was something that confused me a lot because I feel like we don't really get a reference for that in the show. <laughs> in the show, it feels like she does specific sex stuff on a first day. Maybe. So that is something that confused me so much that I wrote it down. It's one of my longest notes that I have on this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And my final thing for the entire Shadwell Newt 
Madam Tracy interaction is that Shadwell mishears Newt introducing himself and he understands it as Lucifer instead of Pulsifer. And excuse me, vindication for Veronica here. That because I forgot. Because I, I said that. I said, oh, if you look at Pulsifer, it's basically Lucifer. Well, he didn't look at it. He misheard it. But now I'm going to give you that because yes, and you, yes. And you it yelled must be deliberate. at me. For, yes, and because Newt says that's Pulsifer with a P. I don't know about the other stuff, but we come from Surrey. So, like, it is basically the same word, except there's P. And it's a soft S, not a C. Yes, but in English, you pronounce it the same way. No, I'm going to give you that because I vaguely remember being like, the girl. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I'm going to give you that. We both do get vindication once in a while because, yes, being right is important. This is why we do this. It's a big reason, not going to lie. I mean, come on, being right is so much fun. And sometimes mm, even true. being wrong is fun. Yeah. We get a quick insert about uh, ways of how heaven deals with people who have the power of seeing ahead, or rather how people deal with that, which Ooh, is some right. a little yeah. detail that, that we didn't really get to do. Doesn't Crowley mention something like that? I feel like there was a conversation about that in the show because I didn't write it down because it felt so incredibly familiar. I don't know. Huh. I don't I don't have a recollection recollection about that. So I may have just missed it. No worries. It's possible. We do get the little if heaven knew that Agnes was a seer mm. or whatever you would call her, they would have done something about it, but she was smart and she hid it and she didn't tell it with any other things which then we get the list of what other people did to themselves who suffered with seeing the future. Remember so, that we suffered. Crazy girlfriend's reference. Has, haven't had one in a while. <laughs> hey, you use this one too often. St. John had his mushrooms, for example. Mother Shipton had her ale. Nostradamus had his collection of interesting oriental preparations, which I'm like, what is that, Nostradamus? So, drugs. you know. I read that as drugs. Interesting oriental preparations. And Agnes didn't do any of that because she decided to use the power for something. So that's kind of another kind of detail about Agnes that we get. And of course, this is the moment where Israfel dials 666. The cocoa actually grows moldy. It's mentioned that it grew mold. Oh, it nearly all solidified. Yeah. Green fur was growing on the inside of the mug. That was fast. No, and that's the point. So much time has passed and he has literal dust on him. And biggest difference, he uses ripped up newspapers as bookmarks in the prophecy book. So that concludes everything I have on Azurafel. Uh -huh. And now we may go into Shadwell. And before you get started on Shadwell, I want to repeat that I like book Shadwell so much more because he has so much more depth. We get so much more background on him with the cellmate inducting him into the army, even though I'm so curious why Shadow was in jail in the first place, that he is simply likable and that is why everyone just likes him, even though we don't get any explanation as to why he is likable. And we learn more about the background with Madame Tracy as to why she likes him and why she doesn't mind the insults and that she like uses his outbursts in her seances and stuff like that. So it's a much more symbiotic relationship than it seems to be in the show. It is not one direction. It is not solely abusive. 
So the entire Shadwell Madame Tracy relationship I like much more and I really really like Shadwell so much more. Mm. So that to me is the biggest difference and also it sadly for me proves Gaiman very very wrong because he claimed in an interview that he would make everyone like Shadwell so much more in the show than they did in the book and for me it is quite the opposite. I don't know. Like, definitely, I didn't have the tendency to call him Shitwell in this as I was reading on. Which is already proof enough for me. You don't need to say anything else. I am right. <laughs> but, I mean, we do, we do go deeper into him. <laughs> what, a, what a place to stop, isn't it? <laughs> we do go deeper into him, yes. We do get deeper into his life here. Yeah. Which also reveals much, much, much more problematic behavior. Like, even introducing the landlord being Mr. Rajiv. Yeah, and his casual racism and everything. Yeah, but that's the thing. You know, Despite being a much worse human being, he still is more likable in the book. I think that Newt describes it really, really well because Newt... This is where we kind of get to understand him a little bit better as well, because he has not been with him for one day. We ha He has been with him for a few weeks at this point. We get a little bit more of a background on why Newt has stuck around. And this is actually a really nice exposition into Shadwell as a person mm. and it explains to me quite well that why he is so likable because this is why Newt had stuck around as in his own words Newt had stuck around with it the past few weeks because well horrified fascination had turned into horrified pity and then a sort of horrified affection so he is a casual racist he is a terrible person who treats everybody but then it is said like a page later he was racist in such a glowing undirected way that it was quite inoffensive it was simply that Shadwell hated everyone in the world regardless of caste color or creed and wasn't going to make any exceptions for anyone and because he has this such a blanket approach to the entire world he's an actual misanthropist misanthropist whatever how, how, how you know what a misanthropist is it? I know what you mean. It, it lessens yeah. the impact of the insult if you use the insult for every single person, which, you know, like is not ideal, but it is how human behavior and, and stuff works. So this is something that definitely gets this depth because we are getting this kind of a longer period of time perception of Shadwell by multiple people. Also, speaking of Newt, Newt has an entirely different backstory in the book because in yeah. the book, and it makes so much more sense to me in the book he is in search of literally anything that he can believe in and he has tried to believe in so many things and he has not found anything that he has been able to believe in and this is another reason for him why he is trying this because yeah. Shadwell believes and this yeah. is something that Newt for some reason wants to be able to do he wants to believe in something he wants to have a purpose in life and he has not so far found any at this point for me it's a difference if you want to believe in something or if you want a purpose um, there is a word that they describe it specifically here sorry eh, ba, ba, ba. while you try to look it. this up 
we get information on how much Shedwell is being paid because he has never adjusted the payment. So the Witchfinder activity pays him a total of 60 pounds a year, which is nothing. So here, Newton Pulsifer had never had a cause in his life, nor had he, as far as he knew, ever believed in anything. It had been embarrassing because he quite wanted to believe in something since he recognized that belief was the life belt that got most people through the choppy waters of life. He'd have liked to believe in a supreme god, although he'd have preferred a half hour's chat with him before committing himself to clear up one or two points. He's set in all sorts of churches, waiting for that single flash of blue light, and it hadn't come. Yeah, but he wants to believe. This is not about. So purpose. he wants to. He wants to believe. He wants to find a cause in life. No, there, there's nothing about a cause of life. He wants to believe because he, had he knows... never had a cause in life. Yeah, but literally, it says he wants to believe in something because he knows believing into something, believing in something, is what gets most people through the day. Yes. He wants to believe in something. He doesn't need a Which cause. Is... He doesn't need a purpose. He's never had neither. I'm not debating that but he wants to believe in something because this is what gets people through the day yeah, yeah. which personally hated i understand that but i also very much understand him because i remember this i remember this within myself when i was younger and i was a part of a church choir and we would just sing sometimes at masses and a couple of people in the choir were actually like joining in on it and like you know i know a, a regular how regular mass goes well enough at this point because i've been to many of them and i remember sitting there on so many different occasions just watching all of these people and thinking to myself i wish i had this kind of belief in my life because it makes certain things in life so much easier to have something like that. Like a, if you really truly believe that if you sin and then you go and like say 15 Hail Marys or whatever, it's gonna, your sin will wash away. It feels like it's gonna be easier going through life. I hate everything about the concept. Oh, I hate the concept now. As want, as, uh, as, as uh, unhappy as I am to quote fucking Nietzsche, but believing, <laughs> believing means not wanting to know. And I subscribe to that a lot. And especially when it comes to morality, the entire believing into something that is um, related or akin to religion. If you need the fear of God or the fear of a religious system to be a decent person then you are not a decent person but that is not what I mean when I say I don't subscribe to the I need to believe in something to get myself through the day I feel that this is giving up agency and I do not like this believing in something means not being self-sustained when it comes through that and I do not like this that depends what you believe in. Because it, it's not just... We're getting all of these a little things, bit off topic No, but here. all of these things are but external like, things. All of these yes. things are things he has no control over, no influence on. Exactly. And yeah, this is, and this I don't is, like that. And this is what he has experienced in his life so far. But what we might find that he starts believing in himself as the book progresses... He doesn't. We're going to argue about that more when we come to Saturday. <laughs> we, we're going to argue about that more. But, you know, like, it's just something that, like, you don't have to have a god or a religious system in order to believe in something. Yeah, he counts off many things that have nothing to do with religion. He does. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. Like, that's why, why I don't want to limit it to religion. Because, yeah. 
Yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, you're looking for an external belief if you're, or that you're, I don't know. I just, I honestly understand where he's coming from. And I think that this is why we differ on our opinion on youth so much. Because in a lot of situations, I understand where this is coming from. Because I have myself struggled with loads of things like that. And like, do I need external validation? Yes, I do. Because I struggle in life and it's difficult to But external not validation to be is something else. For example, though, yeah, do but I... I don't have an issue with needing external validation once in a while because that's just human. But no, but that, that's like, I'm not saying like this is the one specific thing. I'm saying that like there are things, there are moments in my life and there have been, especially when I was younger, where believing in something would make external like this would have made my life easier. You don't know that. You you think it might have made your life easier, but you do not know that. And that is what I put in question because I honestly do not think that if you have the capacity to think about things in this way, that it would be easier if I could believe in something, but you can't because your brain is fucking around with you too much, then your life would not be easier because your life would not be your life. Yeah, we're, we're sliding into something <laughs> very complicated and probably will have us sit here for another five hours and we don't we have really, time really... for that we do not have time for that you can wrap up friday because i do not have a single other note on friday then there is another point of discussion that we've had on the show and because i don't fully remember how we resolved this i'm and curious because i completely missed it apparently <laughs> This is the last thing that happens on Friday. Well, it's not the last thing, but it's one of the last things that happens on Friday. What is the discussion that we had? We are debating if Shadwell was going to go to Tatfield or not after the call that he got from Azurifel. Yeah. And I don't remember the details of this because I think that they have portrayed this bit very accurately and I feel like this does not help our debate. Exactly, which is probably why I didn't write it down because it felt exactly the same as in the show and it doesn't resolve anything. So, like, I think that this time I might actually side with you were correct he was not gonna go at all. But I was also correct in uh, saying that Newt was gonna go regardless because Newt has done at this point way more excessive research on the newspapers because we he's been there for a few weeks he's gone mm. through back issues he has found a lot of articles on Tatfield and as they are again touched upon on the show he now has a true belief that he needs to go there yep and he would have gone regardless and he is not being talked out of it by Shadwell which I feel like on the show, it may have given you a little bit of a... I like... don't actually remember our disagreement. I think yeah. it was mostly about the way how Shadwell frames it. Mm. But yeah, I feel like... I'm going to take show... it that you say I get validation and you get validation because we both yeah. win. And that is... Like, literally the best possible thing. Best it's the same as when we got the answer for one of our Lucifer questions. And <laughs> Tom Alice validated you and Joe Henderson validated me. And I was just perfect. Because that way we actually both were right. Just one was the intent and one was the result. Yes. And that is perfect. Well. And that finishes Friday. Friday. With totally not several days in between Friday and Saturday, we go into Saturday. How's that because... for a transition? <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And we kick off Saturday 
with something missing. And this is something that I really, really loved about the show. I assume you are referring to the breakup that is not happening in the book between Aziraphale and Crowley. What? No. Oh, okay. No, no. Literally, my biggest difference for Saturday, and I kept it in the beginning because it doesn't happen in the entire Saturday, we have no breakup between Crowley and Aziraphale. They don't yeah. fight. Yes. So when you say there is something missing on Saturday, my brain goes to they don't break up. No, Saturday. Well, I mean, that also. <laughs> but if I'm going to go chronologically by the book, they don't break up. But also we don't get a background and a name for the postman. We still get his wife's name, Maud. But... Aww. We don't actually get to find out his name in the book. So I am very glad that they fixed that for the TV show. Because yes. Leslie needed to be mentioned. The whole scene on the show where he wakes up and he's gathering his stuff and leaving his house and talking to his wife is mm. not on in the book at all. Yeah, we that is true. jump directly onto the road and the about to encounter pollution. pollution. Yeah, that was something that I had forgotten, that pollution is already pollution in the book and not pestilence. Somehow my brain was convinced that pollution was a change they made for the show and in the book it was still pestilence. But no, for the same reasons given in the show, it's the same in the book, it's already pollution. The only difference for pollution is that pollution goes by he and not by they. Yes, I have kind of got confused because at this point they still don't specify the name of pollution and they just say it began with a P and then there was a splodge and yeah. then it ended in something that might have been ants and might have been ocean. So I was very confused as in like, are they really? insinuating... <laughs> Yeah, this is what, what the book says. And I was like, are they insinuating that pollution and pestilence are the same person? Or are they just trying to hint at us that this is not pestilence anymore? It's a new person. And it does get cleared out later. And it we do know then that uh, pollution replaced pestilence. And it's yeah, pestilence not the retired. Same character. Yeah. But at this point, I was like, what are they trying to do to me? Are they, <laughs> what? So to me, the show does not make it as clear how obsessed each of the knights is with the respective color because war with the red as we had on the previous day with the red red being literally the name that she uses when she is Scarlet Carmine and she's like red red and famine being black 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 wherever whatever because like raven and like everything that he uses is like a reference to black and now we have white for mm -hmm. pollution which on the one hand it's kind of hilarious that pollution which considered something dirty goes by the name white but yes of course they do have the colors in the show and everything but i feel like the book makes more of a big deal about their obsession and focus on the colors yeah i think that this is one of the things it's not the only thing but it's one of the things that makes you kind of realize that the show on its own it works mm. but it works better on top of the book if you have the depth of it yes absolutely. yeah the depth and the story the changes that it all leads to the fact that the show on its own is just not as good as when you combine it with the book yeah. so they do complement each other yes they do not contradict each other yeah which is very unusual in my opinion because more often than not it's either two very different things, book and show, like with uh, Stardust, for example. Book and movie are very different. They're both very great, but they don't complement each other on that level. Or 
they are in straight up contradiction where one feels like a derision of the other mm-hmm. or it is a loosely inspired by and you can go and read the stuff they used as inspiration but it's not going to add anything to the new created story and so this for me is literally the only case that I can think of where book and adaptation work so well like I mm. could not give you one other example where base and new creation are so much in harmony so to say the only thing that I could think of that would be even close to this would be the princess bride because that was written so it works together in a sense mm-hmm. the book was written first i believe but also the movie was the original idea so it it is just very closely intertwined okay. so it's not exactly the same but that would be like the closest that i could think of okay dear listeners if you have any other great examples please do share <laughs> yeah yeah the next difference that i have is not really a difference but it's something that i wanted to mention because we had a very long disagreement about this when we recorded and that is in the book we get the confirmation that death does indeed speak in caps like the terry pratchett death he is written in a way that terry pratchett wrote death but not in a sense of content more in a sense of grammar so i feel like they took that and this is where a lot of that is has gotten stuck in my brain so uh, we talked about this before death in the book is not as hissy fitty as death in the show so yeah. definitely does feel more like terry's death than gaiman's death so i do yeah. get it i feel like neil has written out the words and then terry went through it and made sure that it is death like <laughs> if you know what i mean so it still carries neil gaiman death but it is stylized after terry pratchett's death i mean gaiman's death when you look at the sentiment is much more human mm. on many levels despite obviously not being human because like dream death desire they're all not human but they do have very human qualities so to say so i feel like Terry's death is less human and Neil's death is very human and so the combination of the two is like Terry's death Maybe. is a fan of humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he wants to be human desperately but he is not. But yeah, maybe that's the reason why death on the show is the way it is and it's it has way more human flaws because it was revised by Neil. Probably. So maybe that's the that's the yeah. reason. We're just going to accept that as fact until we are proven differently. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Newt is going on his journey and he does get his equipment. And this is one of the few moments I actually read the footnote and we get an explanation what firelighters are because they are such an old thing. So the authors wanted to make sure that people who are not familiar with this do know what a firelighter is. So it's not about a lighter in the sense as we see Shadwell later on use, but it's like actually how to light fire. It's a white substance that is pressed into like a yeah. whatever shape it is that just burns really easily and burns for quite a long time. So yeah. instead of putting, you know, like tiny little bits of wood underneath the fire or like pieces of paper that would burn fast, you put a fire lighter underneath and it serves the same purpose except it works much much 
much better. Aside from all the stuff that Newt gets, this is one of the scenes that you and I fought about quite a bit, if you remember. Refresh my memory. Because we were very much not in agreement about the motivation for Shadwell. Yes, this is something that I mentioned earlier a little bit. Yeah, and this is where we are now in the detail. And so I feel vindicated here because we get so much more genuine emotion from Shadwell sending Newt into the field. Yeah. So I feel like he considers this entire situation as relevant. Mm. Mm. And so I feel right. And that makes me happy, as per you. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Well, my emotions about the situation have not changed. So I feel like, yes, I'm glad that you feel righter than you were before. <laughs> that is your prerogative. However, I'm my... entitled to my wrong opinion. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't think it's necessarily wrong because it's not that different from mine. It's just the little nuances. And yes. And we do love to fact, fight about nuance. In fact, Shadwell is very emotional about sending Newt out on his own on a on his own mission as yes. some might say which doesn't necessarily mean that he's emotional about this being an actual thing I think he's just being like this okay. is my first field agent sir laddie okay one thing about Shadwell that I also want to probably reiterate Shadwell is worse and better for me in the book mm. because he is so much more gross on so many levels mm -hmm. but he's also so much more likable and understandable on so many levels so i know i've said this at least three or four times before i prefer book shadwell so much over show shadwell yeah no okay, i understand because he he becomes more human-like he is less of a caricature of himself because you get a little bit more yeah of him so i understand where you're coming from but like shadwell blew his nose noisily on his sleeve excuse me me, that's just disgusting. so disgusting yes so, so bad then he opened a tin of condensed milk for breakfast his obsession with condensed milk is so fucking hilarious i don't know why they have this for him but it is so fucking funny and then we accompany newt with he is leaving and i don't remember if that happened in the show because newt pretty much right away throws away the matches and the thumb screws. Yes. Does he do that in the show? No. So Good. he doesn't actually throw away... No, he doesn't throw away the matches. He throws away the fire lighters because the matches are taken away from him by Anathema. Yes, but, sorry. Yeah, so he... Uh, here. He... Uh, the packet of firefighters... Firefighters! <laughs> the packet of firelighters was sent whining... Winning? Whining? Winding? Winging, winging over the hedge. A moment later, the thumbscrew followed it. And then he debated the other stuff, but he decided not to. I know, he get keeps everything else. But I didn't remember if he threw away every anything in the show. So I was like, wing. I believe he doesn't get issued the firelighters and the thumbscrew in the first place. So he wouldn't get rid of that. I think that they just like made them their lives a little bit easier to not include it at all. Yeah, makes sense. Now, we have one more thing about Newt that we learn in uh, his ranting about Dick Turpin. Oh, is God. It Dick Turpin. Yes. And that is that Newt has friends, which is Newt something has that friends. we... friends, right. Yeah. We right. don't really know that in the show because it he doesn't seems like such feel... a loner. Yeah, it but it doesn't feel yeah. like he has friends in the show. Yeah. True. So in the book, he has friends. And as even though he has a limited social life, he still has a social life, clearly. So go, Newt. 
my baby. From Newt, we get to see what happens to Agnes for the first time. And it is in an early entry in her own book concerned her death. And this then we learn about her death. First of all, she, at the end of her ranting, she smiled and looked up the sky over the village and added, that goes for you as well, you daft old fool. And everybody obviously assumed that she's talking to God. Yes. However, we learn later she's actually talking to Shadwell. Right. Because Shadwell, later on, when he is passed out in uh, Madame Trace's apartment, has this dream and goes through this entire situation and he's watching it from above. And when she raises her eyes, she looks directly at him and says this. To him. To him. I completely read over that. And it's something that you don't really realize when you read it the first time because you don't know you don't connect it at the time. And it is I still just didn't very much passing, passing mention later on when Shadwell is going through the situation. But once you like know that it's going to happen, it's I love that bit. And I think that they kept it in the show in some capacity. I don't know if it's exactly... I don't remember it at all. Uh, ...connected like that, but I'm pretty sure that she does something of looking up and saying something. So it is more of a nod rather than adapting the entire thing. And second tiny little thing about this, and this is, again, something that you don't really realize when you read it the first time, because why would you? What Agnes also left behind on the kitchen table beside a note cancelling the milk was a box and a book. There were specific instructions as of what it should be done with the box. And equally specific instructions about what should be done with the book. That's the box that later on then shows up with the second book in it, basically. Exactly. Which is something that when I read this the first time, I was like, yeah, the book, obviously the book. And I completely glazed over the fact that there was also a box. The box for me was very much, uh, okay, if there's a book and there's a box, because what's in the box? I'm always obsessed if there is a box that is mentioned and then doesn't show up for a while. So that I completely noticed, but holy shit, despite... Having read the book, having watched the show, knowing a few things about everything, I completely missed the, and that goes for you as well. Damn. I love little tidbits like that. They made me so happy. We go to Adam and the kids for a while, for a very short moment. And one thing about Adam that is completely not mentioned in the show, because we simply do not see him game, is that he is incredibly skilled at computer games. And he does not understand how anyone is not. And the way we learn this information is actually connected to Newt because that tiny little piece of information starts Newt-related and suddenly becomes Adam-related, which I find it very, very nice. But it also tells us something about Newt where he is completely unable to choose something electronically-wise that is going to be actually working out. So uh, obviously it is at this point hinted at and I think set out quite straight at this point that he is very very inefficient when it comes to electronics in general he's not inefficient inefficient, he is atrocious he's incapable he's he has a special talent but not the kind of a talent you want well it's exactly (laughs) the talent that we do want in this story but yes I just found it so absolutely hilarious because the way Adam talks about like oh you just play them and then you're done like why doesn't everybody do this and I feel like this gives Adam another layer that we don't have for him in the show and that is how unaware of his powers I'm gonna say superiority he is when it comes to the other them because 
while he is their leader and while they do adhere and follow and yadi yadi yadi, he is not actively aware of his being their better or his being special or anything. He considers himself perfectly normal. Haha. Like we had a conversation about being perfectly normal a few hours ago. And so I really like this because he is completely unpretentious about it. So show Adam seems a lot more arrogant in his yeah. behavior than book Adam. Book Adam is just the way he is and everything is normal. So no. yeah. That, that I found very, very interesting. Yeah, it's very good. And then from there, we get to follow the conversation between Anathema and Newt. And we have this whole thing about device, Joshua device, and Humphrey, Sir Humphrey Gadget. And it, oh, God. Gadget, doodad, gizmo, device. All of those were names first. And then the person invented the thingy that we now no 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 the thingy because gadget is also something else and the gizmo to do that so I like this because I do remember being like device what a surname la 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 and now this actually is put into context like of course we have device and gadget nowadays as normal words but they come from something just like actual names like Röntgen so yeah and I like this I love when you use history to rewrite history in books, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like yes. it, it happens quite often if you have a skilled, and if it's done well, you need to have a skilled science fiction or fantasy writer that uses real historical events and screws them on to their story in order to make their story work. And it's just, if it's done well, it's great. It's, it's just such a beautiful thing to, to, to read and watch. It makes me happy. One of my, well, not issues but one of the things that made me perk up a bit is Anathema says in this section there's no such thing as fate and that does not make sense to me because if everything is happening in accordance to as it was predicted then that means there is this pre-written path because otherwise how could you make predictions that are actually coming true if the story of the world and everyone in it does not follow this specific path. So this does not compute for me. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. It was mentioned that made me do a double take and it just feels a little out of place there. So I'm very curious. They don't really come back to it either. At all. And so that is something that if we ever get a chance to meet Neil again in your case, <laughs> I'm still not over that. I will never be over that uh, until I, I have know. met him myself and then I might be slightly over it. I will not be over it until I meet him again and I'm actually able to like not like cough in his <laughs> to actually be like present that. when it to happens to be present know, yeah and not sick no but seriously this is one of the things that I am most curious about because we have had this discussion at length when we were covering six seasons of Lucifer the difference between free will and fate how can the two exist at the same time if they actually do exist at the same time and then of course there's determinism and physics and like, if you want to listen to more to this listen to the bonus material of the final episode of Lucifer that we did because I talk about this at length but within this book and this story we have not talked about the concept of fate and free will up to this point mm. and this is literally the only mention of fate because we always have the plan we have the great plan we have the ineffable plan but it never is framed as fate and it is never framed as free will or something mm. so 
I'm super curious how, why, etc. And I'm honestly also a bit curious if this might be something that gets addressed in the second season, since there is material that the two of them wrote after writing the book. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm curious. Might be a hint, something to think about. Maybe we have addressed it in the uh, in the summoning episode. Who's to say? So with this out of the way, we get the beautiful description of Agnes by Anathema that I've already mentioned 50 years ago when we start talking about this book. Agnes was a bit of a difficult character. She had no middle gears. <laughs> Love that. It's a very nice description, yes. Then we learn a little bit more about how Agnes worked, which is something that unfortunately we didn't have a chance and I'm assuming mainly we didn't have the time mm. to preoccupy ourselves on the show because it is not very much story related. It's just very interesting and curious of how this specific searing works. Mm. We learn basically that she seems bits of information from the future and obviously she is very much focused on her own family, descendants, whatever. Also, she's not just focused on them. It seems to be that she sees the clearest when it is in some relation or another to her descendants. Yeah. I feel like this is really interesting because it also makes sense that her family is so involved in everything because if her family is more involved in all these happenings down the line, then she can see it more clearly. And because she can see the things more clearly that relate to her family, her family would be more involved in the relative happenings. I like it. Like, there's this one example with the one guy, like, on the day that uh, Kennedy got shot, her prediction is about something completely different mm -hmm. because Kennedy getting shot has no relevance to her family. Yeah. So, yeah, I did appreciate that. The personal touch, so to say. <laughs> yes. Well, then we learn something, and this is something that we've been given by the fact that Newt has been working for Shadwell for a few weeks now, so he has done certain things. Something that he and Anathema have in common. Yeah, the knowledge about the newspaper clippings and everything. She asked, do you know how long it takes to get through every daily paper thoroughly every morning? And he, without missing a single beat, goes three hours and ten minutes, which is... That is very cute. It was oh. one of the better moments between the two of them, I have to say. They were made for each other. No. Maybe literally. Maybe literally. And we all know how I feel about that. And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us as The Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram. We will keep you updated if and when Twitter crashes and burns. You can also send us your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content, early episode release and more, like six seasons of another show more, head to patreon.com slash taotpodcast. And if you like what you hear, please do write us a positive iTunes review. They help a ridiculous amount. And don't forget to pester all your friends about us. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.